Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706 0111. We won't have much time for phone calls today, so if you would like to get in, the best time is the first segment of each hour, and I will try to um, accommodate that. I, uh, you know, I say a lot of things. I have a lot of kind of, I don't think theories or opinions or strong convictions in certain areas of sports. And one of them is, I've thought for a long time that we feel too many punts in this country. And I, I, I've said that many times on air, just normal conversation and on Twitter and whatever. We just, we just, I understand there are time to feel punts. And you know what? Last night may have even been one. But it's just, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a worse way to lose. I mean, in terms of just what are we? You know, you're watching last night, the Broncos, very similar situation to the Saints. Two and three came in with all this, a lot of, a lot of reason for thinking things were going to be better than the last season. Most of the Saints had to do with injuries last year. And then here we are again, just every year. Just injury upon injury, and, and it just never never ends. Even they can't even be healthy for the first game. It's like the first game. Can we? Can you just get to the first game healthy? No, just a rash of injuries. I mean, it's just every game. But anyway, the Broncos have had an issue, obviously, at quarterback for a while now. And you know, last night kind of got a little better, but. One team that they kind of play well against always is the Chargers, and they did. They played well last night. They could have won the game. You get down to the end, you keep saying, is the defense going to be able to do it again? And the defense did it again. And this time they're punting from, you know, I don't know if he was in the end zone, but he was close to the end zone. He was punting from deep in his territory. And you're getting the ball back. There's like four or five minutes left in overtime. You got to – even though the offense hasn't done anything in a while, you've got a great chance to win the game. And the punt block guy runs into his punter. Like, what is he even doing there? Why are you even blocking? Like, at some point, you just got to, look, we, cannot, we can't afford to do all this stuff. I just need the football. Why are you blocking? Just fair catch it. If you want to do something, like, again, at some point, you got to just block everything out and just let's get down to the basics. In that situation, this is what you need to do. Forget about blocking. You're fair catching. What do you need to block for? Just just go down there and be around the guy in case he fumbles so you can recover it. 
Because if it was me, he wouldn't even be fielding the punt. Now, I understand that you're struggling on offense, and so field position seems real important. The problem with that is, so often, if you watch how a lot of these Australian-type punters punt, so often it's like they're hitting a nine iron to bite on a green. The ball's going this way. It's not going this way. And so it's not going to bounce and go 15, 20 yards is my point. So often the ball just bites and goes straight up in the air. And then the guy catches it. Why, did, why does he do that, by the way? Like, do they coach him to do that? Like, let it fall. It might bounce the other way. Of course, it might bounce towards you. But just stop it if it does. Like, why do the guys, when it bounces on the air, bounces on the ground on the punt, why do they catch it in the air, let it bounce it? You might get five more yards. If all, if the, you know, this is, if field position is so important. And I understand the Broncos weren't moving the ball, but man, it's just, that is, it's just the worst way to lose. To fumble a punt, or in this case, you fumbled a punt, but because your guy backed into you. Like, let's can we just eliminate all the riffraff and get down to the basics here? I, I I just we feel way too many punts in this country. It's just so it's just such a waste. And and when you go, you know, we, we're in an age of analytics, and some people hate analytics, and I think that's closed-minded. I mean, you got look, I, I'm old school in a lot of things. But you can't be that close-minded. Like, yeah, yeah, to say I hate analytics, well, I just think that's silly. I mean, I, you, because you've been doing it this way forever doesn't make it right. And so you have to look at the analytics. And the thing that I don't get about analytics to, in, in the whole punt, you realize how few, especially at the NFL level, how few punt returns? I'd like to know what percentage of punt returns are more than 15 yards in punt return. What percentage of all punts are returned more than 15 yards? I, I got to believe it's a really low percentage. And so if it's as low as I perceive, why is it so much? Why is there so much incentive? to field a punt and risk not getting the possession when the possession is so important. Like, how can you allow, how can you let your, how can you put yourself in position with the things that the defense did in this particular case in the third quarter, well, not so much the third, but the fourth quarter and in overtime to keep you in the game and you're going to put them in position to have to go back out there on their side of the field when they just stopped? I mean, how can you do that? I, I just don't understand. I understand coaches worry about field position. But you, you have to look. I, I just don't think they're looking at a big enough picture here. You cannot. When your defense forces another punt, you cannot under any circumstance put them in a position to have to go back on the field after a stupid punt. Because your special team, your special teams need to reduce it to nothing. You 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 can't do that. You can't rush the punter, take a chance on roughing him. You can't do that. 
mean, sooner or later, your offense has to step up and do its job. You cannot put your defense in that position. That is just awful. All coaches at all levels, they, 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 the, the whole idea is I got I to gotta feel the punt. It might roll for 50 yards. You need to get that out your mind. Look, there are a lot more instances where guys fumble punts than, oh, I lost a game because I let a punt and it rolled for 50 yards. Especially at the end of a game. When chances are you're not going to do anything anyway because you hadn't done anything in an hour on offense. So why is it worth the risk to lose the game on a fumble to save 10 yards or 15 yards? It just doesn't make any sense. But we do it because, I don't know, we've always done it. Why not just keep doing it? That's why... The pe- that's why you can't say, well, I hate analytics. Well, no, you got to look at it. That's, that's, that is just awful. I'm just, oh, man. It's bad enough that the, if, the, if the Saints, look, the Saints have lost a lot of weight. That, uh, I don't think there's a worse way to lose a football game. I just, I'm at the end, I'm in overtime or at the end of regulation, and I'm going to lose because I'm so stupid that I got to feel the punt. Or try to field the punt. And what you blocking for? The guy can't hit him before he catches it. What are you worried about blocking t- six inches in front of the guy for? It's just special teams just kill me, man. Just kill me. That is awful. I'm so thankful that didn't happen to the Saints because it, it's bad enough right now. That, I, 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 look, that is an awful way to lose a game. But you got to field the punt. Field the punt. All right, we were thinking today um, that we would know who the Astro opponent is. Well, that didn't happen. They're going to play today about 3 o'clock Central Time. Um, I, I don't know what, what that means. You know, there are people speculating that somehow it helps the Astros. Who knows? I, teams play every day during the season, so and they travel and play the next day. I, I don't know that this is any advantage or disadvantage. I My experience is, if there, if anything, in that whole area, which I don't, I don't know that it means anything, but if my my something that I've noticed is that when you the times that the Astros have had to kind of like play a long game and then have a late flight and get in somewhere, kind of this situation, that the next game they actually play pretty well. It's the game after that that it catches up with them. It seemed like I've noticed that over the years. But really, I don't I, – I think that's all a bunch of talk about nothing. I mean, again, this isn't like high school baseball or college baseball where you play – um, you know, you normally have days off in between like midweek games and or in between. I mean, they're, these guys are used to playing every day and they're used to playing in one city on a Wednesday or a Thursday and then traveling to another city and playing in a, another city the very next day. I mean, I don't I don't I don't think it's a big deal at all. But um, 
what could be a big deal is how it impacts your pitching because that's one day less of rest, theoretically. Like if you use your pitcher, if you have to use four or five pitchers on Tuesday, you though all those guys might not be available on the Wednesday, but they might have been if you played the game on the Monday and they had Tuesday off. So in terms of that, it could have a negative impact on whoever wins the game this afternoon at Yankee Stadium. But, I mean, all they got to do is field the punt. You know, that's the be-all, end-all. You need to, you, when in doubt, field the punt. That is that is just awful. So we'll wait and see who the Astros play. It kind of makes previewing the ALCS a little difficult because you don't even know who you're going to play. And by the way, uh, in about 9.35, we're going to be speaking with Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal. Lots to talk about. Won't be able to talk about the matchup so much because, again, we don't know who the Astros will be playing, but uh, maybe who, who he thinks the, the Astros match up the best with. Maybe we can go that route all right oh man I'm sure glad I didn't need Mike Williams points from Mike Williams last night because he got one for me one one fortunately I had already won but man that that have been a very that have made to last night even worse if I'd have needed like two points from him to win <laughs> he got one one I got so many more things to worry about than fantasy though Unbelievable. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back with more on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We um, want to remind you about the Sweet Dough Pie Festival. It's coming back, serving up slice of history and deliciousness. You will be, The public will be voting on the best Sweet Dough Pies, and they will be available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October the 29th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 331-6352 or visit the Town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. All right. Again, we are kind of waiting to see who's going to win between the Guardians and the Yankees. The Astros will play the winner. 635 game one, or 637, I should say. Game one scheduled on Wednesday and again on Thursday. So think about Thursday. Saints are playing essentially with their season on the line. Um, I think it, it's – I think if they win Thursday at three and four – there's still a chance. Obviously, if they lose at two and five, there's a chance. But man, it 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 it's a pretty slim looking chance. It's look, it seems very slim at that point. 
I mean, if you're two and five and you win three in a row and you get to five and five, can you still make the playoffs? Of course you can. But it's just where they are. And, uh, you know, I still think this team, unless the injuries just don't stop, is going to be a very good team at the end of the year. That's my expectation. But if you lose too many games, it's not going to matter. I mean, it's just not going to matter if you lose too many, you know, the first half of the season. So they, um, they've got to they've got to win. And the Astros are going to be playing game two of the ALCS. So, wow. I mean, just <sighs> Thursday football. I hate playing in London, and I hate playing on Thursdays. I mean, that is just the worst. Uh, and again, I, I really think it could. Um, I, I I really think on Sunday I'd feel a whole lot better about this matchup. I, although I don't know that I would ever feel great about it because again, this defense has been bad for a while now. Uh, that's two weeks in a row, and what three times the defense was awful against the Falcons. It was awful. It really didn't play that bad against the Vikings. Now, Lattimore had a rough day against Jefferson. But other than that, the defense did fine. But it was terrible against Seattle. And it was terrible Sunday. And it was terrible. They played six games and half the games the defense has been terrible. I mean, not bad. Terrible. So, I don't know what to think. But playing against mobile quarterbacks is never going well. Now, the Cardinals are struggling. But the Cardinals are not going to be the same exact same team. They're getting their best wide receiver back in Hopkins. He was, of course, you know, he suspended six games, and who's going to play in game seven? Of course, it's the Saints. But, um, and then, um, and they traded for Robbie Anderson. So, now, how ready, um, how ready or is Robbie Anderson going to be to make an impact right away? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. How ready for that matter is Hopkins going to be when he hadn't played all season? I don't know. Time will tell on that. But at least they're going to have weapons that they haven't had all season, theoretically. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, I heard yesterday that, uh, you know, I can't I can't recall where I heard it from. I heard someone mention they can see the Saints moving on from Dennis Allen after the season. And, and I'm thinking when I heard that comment, I'm like, where in St. recent history were they shown that they would just pull the court after one season with a coach? Uh, when you look at the track record, at least they get at least three years, the last 25, 27. Well, at least uh, uh, since Dicker, you know, Mora got his years, Dicker got three. But most of the coaches who were there got at least three seasons. Could you see that? No. Could you I, see I, them going? I, I think I, I – no. And, and no, I, I think I think all the Dennis Allen – criticism I don't get now again I know some people would prefer him being more fiery he's not you know the quitter and like to scream and holler and pitch fits and all that which was fine I mean I I don't I don't you know I disagree with a few of his game management decisions not nearly as many as I did the quitter especially his first couple seasons he was you know again I back then I called him Casper the game management nightmare ghost so I mean no I don't I think I think the I think there's – is he due some criticism? Yeah. But is he – I think it's way overboard so far, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. Oh. You don't buy well, that? Oh, no. Come on. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. I know I know that nah, this band has to do something crazy in the locker room for that to take for something like that to take place. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, not just I don't care if he went three and 14, you know, uh, it's just. You know, uh, I was discussing. I was discussing with my with with my wife last night. She said, "Man, there there are people really saying that they don't think Hackett's going to survive this season." I said, "But guess what? Though? Hold up, hold up. I was getting ready. That that was my next step because I mentioned that this morning. Denver has a track record in recent history of just saying, you know what? I'm done. Well, after at least two seasons, or at least, you know, after hold up, Joseph. Man, that was Van Joseph. Yes." Two, he, I think he got two, right? Two seasons? Right. So, hey, they, they have a track record of just pulling the plug, you know, especially if they gave the, uh, that, the quarterback a nice contract. What if he said, hey, you know, I want I want my guys in here, you know? Yeah, you have a I'm new good, owner, so I, I get what you're – everything you're saying makes sense, but what I told Michelle was I just think you look like a, an unstable organization when you do that. You just – I just, I think you got to at least let them, first of all, you got to at least let them finish the season. Firing them in the middle of the season is, is silly to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I think you got to at least let him finish the first season. But, I mean, he, again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. He does look like a fish out of water sometime, no question. I don't think Dennis Allen really looks like that. They're just not winning. But um, but he does look, you know. Yeah, the thing about it, man, this is when – when you watch the games, you know, yeah, what if, what if, what if, you know. Uh, but I, I just see injuries. I'm not making any excuses. I'm just watching the game. For, I'm just dealing with the reality of the situation at the moment. Uh, injuries, uh, refs, refs, like, you know, key fumbles, uh, key turnovers in crucial moments. You know, it's part of the game. This team could easily be four and two. Oh yeah, I mean the Broncos could have so, won every game they played. I mean, so I'm talking it, about the Saints. But well, yeah. the Saints too. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, the Saints. You know, if you're just getting crushed, okay, then maybe he's just not. He's just not good enough. But I mean, the Broncos have had a lead in the or, or been within three points or had a lead in the fourth quarter of every game. How are you going to just fire the guy in the middle of the season? I don't. I don't. I, I think that's silly. Hey, hold up. Hey, you remember, I don't know if you remember this conversation I, I think I had with you last week. I said, hey, man, um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Phillies make a run. And you was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. I said, hey, uh, when the last time a team won a World Series, you know, changing managers during the season? I think I had that conversation with you. Um, no, I, the Phillies oh, surprised me. Hey. I just didn't think they had the relief pitching to do it. But you know what? They didn't even have one of their main relievers, and they still won the series. So, no, you got to give them credit. Yeah, it was a great Monday morning. I know the Saints lost, but it was a great Monday morning hearing that the Dawson's lost and the uh, Braves lost. But you have a good one. Thank, thank you. Thank you for the call. Um, no, I, I, um, you know, we're at the point now as we watch Bronco games where Michelle's like, well, that wasn't his fault. Like, how is that Hackett's fault that – it's third and two, and you have a wide-open receiver five yards up the field, and Russell Wilson doesn't throw it to him. Like, how is that Hackett's fault? How is it Hackett's fault that this, what I don't know what this guy was doing, lock, and, and bounces into? Now, it's his fault to, 
in that he should have said, um, all right, we are not doing anything right here. I just want the football. We're not going to try to balk. We're just going to we're going to fair catch it if you're going to fair catch it or just let. But I mean, how many head coaches are going to do that? Maybe one or two. Like that's not that's something that I would do in that situation. But I'm very much in the minority because in this country we love to feel punts. I mean, it's just like it's like death taxes and field punch. You have to feel the punt in this country for so many in in the minds of so many people. I mean, you just have to. It's like you have to do it. So I can't. Even though I, I it's what I would have done. You can't criticize him for that. You know, and again, the very first game of the year, he got all this criticism because he because he didn't trust Russell Wilson. Well, then three or four games later, he's getting killed because he did trust Russell Wilson. So, I mean, it's just like some of this is like, yeah, I think you're being a little too result-oriented and a victim of the moment here. Again, does he look like he's just a fish out of water? Yes. I understand doubting him. I get it. Uh, some of the play calling doesn't make sense to me either, but a lot of teams play calling doesn't, don't, doesn't, they don't make sense to me. doesn't make sense to me, but, um, we don't know what's going on with Russell Wilson and, and, you know, I, I just think firing him in the middle of the season is silly. And I think to talk about firing Dennis Allen is just silly. I think that's just silliness, silliness, you know, if, if, if Superman, if um, if Z twenty eight doesn't fumble in Arnaville, and if the officials don't cheat, we're not talking about a lot. No, nothing's changed here. All the same amount of injuries. If if Will Lutz, who's capable of making thirty something yard field goals, makes thirty something yard field goals, and and forty one doesn't fumble and give a touchdown away, just give it to him, which he's capable of running the ball and not fumbling. He's done it a couple thousand times probably in his life. If just those two things happen and the officials don't just cheat and make up calls in the Viking game in London, this team's four and two. And everybody's talking about how great things are. Two plays, there are three plays. Three things. An NFL kicker make a 30-some yard field goal, a couple of them, and an elite running back not fumble, and officials just don't make up calls. All things that should happen 99% of the time, this team's four and two. Now, would they be playing well? No, they wouldn't be playing well. They're still not playing well. But they would be four and two if things that should happen 90-some percent of the time happened. That's what's so frustrating. Even with all the issues, even with all the injuries, even with all of the, you know, the offensive line has had issues, you know, even with not, you know, what you do with quarterback injuries here and, and not using Batman enough, even with all that stuff. That's why it's just talking about firing the coach in his first year. It's just silly. It's just silly. Silly. All right. We'll take a timeout. Shift gears. Talk Astros baseball with Michael Schwab at a juice box journal next on the game. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote 
and footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you, Thursday is going to be a huge day. It's going to be game two of the ALCS. And the Saints will be playing the Cardinals that night. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6. There will be tons of sports to talk about, lots of great food, tasty burgers. So, um, And then kind of getting you set up for the Saints game that night and the um, Major League Baseball ALCS Astros playoffs drama against either the Yankees or the Guardians. So, again, go out and visit the guys from 4 to 6 at Twin Peaks on Johnson Street on Thursday. All right, we have with us Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal. What an exciting, exciting time. Astros coming off a, I don't know what to call it, but technically it was a sweep over the Mariners. How are you, sir? But I am still surviving from that 18-inning game. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I don't know if you look at it this way, but someone – I I feel like with this sweep of the Mariners uh, in the ALDS this past week, I feel kind of like the Saints got payback for the 2005 World Series. You know, they got swept by the White Sox, but probably could have won. Well, they could not probably. They could have won all four games, but they lost all of them. And so it looked like, oh, it was just a, it was just a face crushing, you know. And really, every game was close. At one run, or I think three of them were one run. One of them went like fifteen innings, and and this was kind of like the Astros were on the other side of that situation in this game, where they easily could have lost all three games, but they won them all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the biggest difference between two thousand five World Series, which uh, we just can't talk about anymore, and this. ALDS is a person by the name of Jordan Alvarez. I mean, it, it, you know, if you, if you don't get that go-ahead walk-off homer on game one, you have game two on Thursday down one game. Yeah, And that game was back and forth as well. And then Jordan, of course, with the go-ahead homer just to kind of get it going. I, I was always worried about the Mariners. I never wanted to face them because they were scrappy. They're good top to bottom. They have great starting. They have great bullpen. And their lineup is just, they just get hits and they don't walk. And so, you know, the fact that the Astros were able to sweep them in four games, I'm saying four, because they played 18 innings right. in the third game. <laughs> you know, listen to this stat. I was looking through stats. This blew my mind. The Astros relievers have thrown 20 innings in three games. The Guardians relievers have thrown 25 innings in six games. That just tells you everything you need to know about this series. It was wild. The Astros scraped by, not because they didn't play well, it's because the Mariners were that good. So it's good to be done with that series. Well, the other thing that's a little scary, and, you know, of course, you could say, well, that just means they're due, and, and hopefully it plays out that way. The Astros were like three for 20-something with runners in scoring position in the series and swept. I mean, the chances of that happening are not very good either. And, of course, the reason why that happened is because the bullpen played fabulous and 
you know, who I, we call El Pedro Grande on this show, Yarden Alvarez. So uh, you're, you're right about that. But how worried are you about the lack of hitting and runners in scoring position, or do you feel like that's going to turn around in this next series? Well, I mean, I think we look at these games and, you know, throughout the season, there was a worry that they couldn't score. And that happens, you know. Uh, they they were had ups and downs where they scored 12 runs. They scored 23, 21 runs in, in the game, and then they just get blanked. You know, but game one they scored eight runs and they came back. That's huge. They scored four runs in third. You know, on game two against other great pitching, and then 15, You know, game three is just an anomaly. Everyone pitched out of their mind. The Astros pitched fun. You know, incredibly, and so did the Mariners. So. I don't. I'm not too concerned about the hitting right now. Now, it, the thing that's making me very excited, and, and we can talk about this, is that you've got players who are starting to hit again, like Yuli, where you need those people to kick up. Bregman was doing great. Alvarez did great. Tucker, Pena came through. So when we know that the top names are going to perform, and then the other people are able to step up, like Yuli and Pena, then things are looking much better for you. You know, you Jose, brought up yeah, yeah you, you brought up Yuli and think about it. During the course of the season, really here and there all season long, it was a major topic of conversation. What did it what what is Dusty gonna do with Yuli? And and after they made the trade, there were a lot of fans and I'm sure some media members as well that were like, Well, they sh- he should play Mancini more and Dusty was stubborn is what the way we, most of us put it. And he's sticking with Yuli, even though Yuli wasn't hitting. And here we are for the defenses theoretically, and the defense is still there. And here we are in the postseason, and Yuli has hit very well in in, in the postseason so far, and he's still playing good defense. So, you know, I guess Dusty's probably feeling like he might have been right on that deal. And Dusty was right. You know, this is a reckoning for Dusty Baker. I think out of anything that we learned from the ALDS, and we'll see how the rest of the postseason plays out. Dusty Baker is the number one winner of all this. He had incredible bullpen usage. The lineups were great. Um, he kept the stars in just enough, not enough to get you know to get through the innings. The pinch running, the pinch hitting, and the defensive substitutions. Dusty is doing a great job, and Yuli is the prize possession in all this. I think what it shows to you is the full outrage we have during the regular season. The people got mad up at the lineups because Yuli would be in it or Mancini wasn't in it or something like that. Well, Mancini doesn't have a hit yet. Yuli's batting 400. He's got an OPS of 1,000. I, I, you know, he's getting on base. He's hitting. He's making big plays. He even got a stolen base. This is the Yuli that we know. And, and he got robbed right by Gonzalez. I mean, by Rodriguez exactly. on, a, on what should have been a, a game-winning RBI double, you know, with just about any other center fielder playing out there. That's exactly right. And so, I mean, these are clutch things. They'd be talking about a different story story than Jerry Pena. But Pena had to get the homer. But Yuli was getting it done. It's just that when the postseason comes around, you need people who trust the players and you want the players to feel trusted. And so I'm going to backtrack to Jose Altuve, who didn't get a hit. You know, he went 0 for 16. So, of course, everyone's going to be like, well, you know what? It's Altuve. He's going to be okay. And that's how I feel about it as well. You keep him in there. You keep Yuli in there. He can prove himself. And Altuve's do. It's going to happen in the LCS. 
Before we move on, and uh, I was going to do this at the beginning because I forgot for a few times, let people know, especially now that we're in the postseason, if they want to follow all your reports, let them know how to do it. Yeah, thank you, Foot. So you find me on Twitter at, at Michael Schwab13. Uh, my run the account, Juicebox Journal, is my newsletter. You can subscribe to that. Uh, I'll be posting everything I can, replays, insights, maybe some trolling of other fans. It just It's all fun and good nature, but find me on Twitter, and uh, let's, let's win this. The other thing as far as the guy who's coming off a rough stretch here, or in this case a rough game, uh, is Justin Verlander. And I wouldn't think anything of it other than the fact that if you go back three or four or five postseason starts, the numbers are not that pretty. I mean, is is there any chance that Justin Verlander is turning into Clayton Kershaw? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm not worried about Verlander, and let me tell you one reason why. And this is just a hunch. And I got some. I got some sourcing on this, but you know, people talk. People, you know, everyone wants to blame. My understanding is that some sketchy things were going on in the Mariners, whether Verlander may have been tipping. Or maybe they saw some grips and they got on him. The last team to light up Justin Verlander to six runs were the Mariners. Mariners, yeah. Uh, in May 27th. So to me, if they got his number, it's Verlander, though. I mean, you got to go back to the 2017 World Series and how we just lit up the Yankees. He's got up and down games, but he's still got the ability. This is a Cy Young year. It's just like with Altuve, he had a bad series. It was just one outing and a bad outing. I, I think regardless of if he plays the Yankees or Guardians, he's going to be a different player at home. That's my hope. I think he can rein it in. And the reason I say that is you look at this, the season he had, which was just defied all odds. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. You don't think that he should be able to pitch like he did, but he did. And he always stepped it up. So I'm going to just say that's an anomaly about what happened in game one. And let's, I think ALCS game one will be a different story for him. All right. Again, we're speaking with Michael Schwab at the Juice Box Journal. So um, one, one, one lingering question from something that you said earlier. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I've supported Dusty from day one. I think he's done a fabulous job. Personally, if Dusty would have asked me, I'd have let McCullers go one more inning. Why do you think he pulled him when he did? I think it's all about, it's all about matchups. So if you look at kind of all this game, um, he you need every single out, especially when no one's scoring a run. And how well Kirby was doing, they needed to make sure that if anything were to happen, everyone was fresh. So I think what they wanted is, would you chance it and go one more inning and tail off a little bit on – you're, you know, the movement was there, but do you want to chance it or do you want to bring in someone fresh? And so that's the way they went, and it worked out perfectly for them. It was the right decision. I, I think Lance could have done it, but what that proved in that game that went 18 innings is that every single inning, every single hit mattered. So it, it was the right decision at that time to me to bring it in. Would, would Christian Javier have started a game four if there was a game four? I think so. I yeah. think the most likely scenario was Javier would have gone that game, which, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know because what you see, <laughs> what happened? We went 18 innings and Javier didn't come in. Hello, red flag. 
that means he's going the next game if you have to. Right. Um, and, you know, Josh Miller, the Astros pitching coach, made a really great point. You know, they went 18 innings. They had 100 pitches left in them. They could have emptied the gas thing. They could have put Urquidy in there and gone more. Yes. They could have gone Javier if you really needed to. That shows you the pitching depth of the Astros, which is phenomenal. And that's the biggest thing that stands out to me. When you look at the ERA for starters, it was 460. And that's just because of a terrible start by Verlander. It's phenomenally, like I said. The bullpen had an ERA of 0.44 and a whip of 0.69 for 20 innings pitched. That is unbelievable depth. That is a strength right there. The pitching, the starting pitching has been phenomenal this year. It's going to catch back up to it. I think you reset the stats in the ALCS. And everything looks much different. And Hunter Brown looked like he belonged. Hunter Brown does belong. Hunter Brown does belong. <laughs> he just looked. He didn't. <laughs> I, look, mean, I mean, he looked at it all, since he came up, but in the postseason, he did not flinch. No, and this, and I've been talking. I talked about this on Twitter about how phenomenal the Astros' development has been, especially in Sugarland. Hunter Brown was kept in Sugarland all year. He's the number one ranked prospect for the Astros. He should have been up in May. But because of how good the depths have been on this team, you keep him in Sugarland and you keep him going. Give him the ability. They put him in relief situations. They started him. They threw him in all different things in Sugarland. And he comes in and gets it done in a high leverage moment. He goes two innings and only allows one hit and one walk. And that was a worry about him is with the walks. But he has an ERA of zero in the postseason as a rookie. It's phenomenal how well he's done. Absolutely. All right, one more question. From a from a matchup standpoint, are you hoping the Yankees win or the Guardians win this afternoon? I mean, if you want my honest opinion, I think I'd rather play, play against the Yankees. And the reason why is two different reasons. Number one, of course, how wonderful would it be to shut up the Yankees and beat them in the ALCS? Let their fans cry. Let the players cry. But also from a matchup perspective, they're not the top team right now. I mean, their bullpen is abysmal. I think what I was reading was they have a ERA of, let's see if I can find it, the Yankees. Uh, I can't. I mean, it's terrible. I think it was like three or four. And then you look at their pitching, starting pitching, that's not good as well. So from a matchup standpoint, the Astros hitters will do great against them. They've done great as well during the season. And then from pitching, the Astros pitchers will take care of They only got Stanton and Judge, and that's it. You just got to get those guys out, and they'll be take care of it. The Guardians are hot right now. They're excited. They're young. Their bullpen is phenomenal. ERA of 70. I just don't know if I want to chance it. And I have a feeling that the, that the Guardians win today. I think that they come through, and they'll be the ALCS matchup. But – Regardless what I think, Kevin, the the Astros are going to be ready, and I think they're going to do well to say LCS, knock on wood. All right. Well, I appreciate your time as always. Obviously very, very exciting, and we'll see what they do um, in, the, in, you know, in the next week or so. Thank you very much, sir. You got it, foot. Take care. Take care. Michael Schwab at the Juice Box Journal. Look, he is very confident. Everything he says makes total sense. And, again, follow him. He, he, he gives great information. He has great insight, great reaction. Uh, really, really enjoyed talking baseball with him through, throughout the second half of the season and now into the postseason. We'll take a timeout. We'll be back on the game. 
So, again, about 3 o'clock today, 3.07, I think, is the official time. The Guardians will play the Yankees, and it, um, I look, I you, we heard what Michael said, and I said yesterday I had a close friend who's a uh, Astro fan. He thinks the exact same thing, but I just can't. I just don't think like they think. I understand what they say, but to me, I I, I make the judgment. I guess sometimes I look at matchups, and I can have different discussions. Like matchup wise. I agree with what they're saying. I, I see their logic. It all makes sense. But I say, who would I rather lose to? That's the way I look at it. It's just, a, just the way I look at it. All right. That'll do it for the first hour. Hour number two next on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. One, one. If you would like to get in, this is it. This is the last. This is the last time that you would be able to to call in and uh, discuss your opinions on uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. You could discuss last night's game, anything to do with college football, the Cajuns, LSU. Cajuns will will be talking Cajun football with Cody Juno in the in the next segment as we do each week. It is. Um, you know, it's weird when you play these midweek games. Um, because it seems now that it's been like two weeks since the Cajuns played, but it really hadn't even been a week. It just seemed when you don't play on Saturday or Sunday, then it just it just seems so long ago. But it's 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 really just been six days ago since they played the game. It was a great victory to go on the road and, and beat Marshall, and and now they're going to play two teams that, you know, I think are both significantly better. Like Arkansas State, significantly better than they were a year ago. The other than like the Cajuns struggled with them, but everyone, most other teams routed. Arkansas State last year. Like, in their, I looked it up yesterday. In their first five conference games last year, only one of them was close. That was the Cajun game. The other four games, they lost on average of like 19.8, like basically 20 points a game. They were getting beat by three touchdowns a game, essentially, except for the Cajuns. And the Cajuns beat them by one point only because they had like, Maybe the best drive I've ever seen. 20 plays, 90 yards, took up like 10 and a half minutes on the clock. Without that, the Cajuns very likely lose. Uh, And yet other teams were just routing Arkansas State. Southern Miss was just a complete in disarray last season. And 
and they have played much better and just overcame a 19-7 deficit in the fourth quarter to beat Arkansas State 20-19 this past Saturday. So it is – I think these next two games are um, – you know, you the Cajun fans will if they can win two close games, they're going to feel a whole lot better at five and three than they would any other record. And so, you know, you would feel a whole lot better about yourself as a Cajun fan. These are critical games because they're, I think, they're both 50-50 games. And the second one, by the way, is going to be next Thursday, so another midweek game. Uh, we'll see how the Cajuns survive that, which is a whole different. I, I think, I think. Look, playing Sunday to Thursday in the NFL is awful. Playing it in college is even worse. That's just awful. They, they should never do that stuff. But they don't ask me. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hello. Howdy, Kevin. sir. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, you hit the nail on the head about uh, these guys trying to return punt. I was watching the uh, Alabama-Tennessee game Saturday, and uh, – the, the punt returner for Alabama thought about catching the ball in the air, and at the last second, he tries to squeeze his body out the way, and uh, the ball doesn't touch him. But one of the other guys that were there to block for him thought it touched him, and uh, he scrambled to try to get it, and uh, Tennessee recovered. That was a big play in that game right there. Uh, you're and right. you're moving I mean, the ball at will when you're playing, especially in the college football game or the high school football game where you're playing one of these what I call 42-40 games where you're just moving the ball at will. What are you worried about 10 or 15 uh, yards of field position for? You're going to get that in one play. Correct. I mean, it correct. just, I mean, I, it, it, coaches, I just think they just, it just drives me uh, bonkers. Yeah. It, it, it's frustrating, yeah, it, it, it is. But uh, that that's all I got. Um, go Cajuns, go Astros, and go Vikings. All right. Thank you for the call, sir. You know I can't support right. that last one. But, yeah, thank you very much for the call. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, you know, the Vikings, oh, they just you – know, I think they were pretty good. Uh, I, You know, I thought the Saints should have beat them. But, you know, if I'm the Vikings and the officials sheet – Look, the next week the Saints play Seattle. The Saint, the NFL cheated, and the Saint, and I, I'm not giving it back. I mean, I don't expect Viking fans to give it back. I mean, the, the officials cheated the Saints in the Viking game, and then the next week, the officials cheated Seattle and, and for the Saints. Um, I'm not giving it back. I don't expect them to give it back. But man, they, the, Vi- oh, the Vikings have been torturing me for 50 years. For 50 years, they've been torturing me, and it just never ends. Thankfully, it ended one day when the officials cheated and um, in the NFC Championship game and Adrian Peterson decided I'm going to fumble six times. I mean, I appreciate him doing that. Uh, I, I think Adrian Peterson um, should be in the Saints Hall of Fame personally for that six-fumble performance. But um could put Brev Favre in there as well for two of the greatest passes in NFL history in my opinion. But other than that, oh, man, it's been misery and misery and misery. But, no, I again, as I said in the last hour, I if there was a game where field position mattered some, it was a game like was played last night because no, at the end of the game, no one was playing football. 
was playing good offensive football at all. They weren't moving the football at all. So I get it in that game. But it it really doesn't make any sense like a game like uh, Shane was just saying where Alabama and Tennessee are moving the ball up and down the field. And it's, it's again, I know the score wasn't 42-40, but that's why I, what I call those kind of games where it's just it's seven-on-seven seven football that's being played. I don't really like seven. I know most of you love it. And y'all think that's great football? I don't really. I don't like that. When, when yards come too easy, then to me it's not impressive. But anyway, when you're playing one of those games, it makes even less sense to field a punt because who cares about field position? You're just asking yourself. You're just asking for a turnover. It, the worst thing you need is a turnover right there. Bad, you know, 10, 15 yards worse of field position is not a big deal. Not a big deal in a 42-40 game. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin's Dwight. Howdy, sir. Hey, uh, when are our receivers going to play again this uh, season? Uh, supposedly they're not going to play again Thursday. Uh, although Alave, you know, according to the reports, might uh, I kind of feel like Alave will because he at least practiced last week in a concussion situation. So I'm thinking this week he'll play. But, as for, you know, I don't know if Michael Thomas is ever going to play again for the Saints, really. Now, I, I think Jarvis Landry will. Um, and I think the Saints can win without Michael Thomas, but they, you got to have some of them. Right, right. And on that, that fourth down play at the end of the game for the Saints, did you think that was uh, pass interference? Well, I mean, you I didn't I didn't think it was obvious pass interference. I think you could have called pass interference because he did undercut him. I mean, you know, but I I, I didn't think it was like, oh, that was obvious pass interference. You know, right. would, would the Saints have gotten that call in a reverse? I don't know. We've you know, I I didn't think it was pass interference in the Viking game and the call that determined that game either, but they called it. Well, this one, I, I didn't think it was obvious, but I thought it could have been called. Who, who, I don't, I couldn't see, but there was someone running right down the middle of the field. I don't know if it was Johnson or someone, and there was no one near him. He was, he could have crawled into the end zone. I, I heard, I heard someone else bring that up. I need to go back and watch the replay because I, you're the second person or third that I've seen refer to that, but I, I didn't actually see that. I, I'm not sure. There was no one near him, 20, 30 yards away from him. He could have crawled into the end zone. Sickening. You know? Sickening. Uh, so, so you would rather play the Yankees than the Guardians, you said you were saying earlier? No, I'd rather play the Guardians. Uh, I, I oh, think, you would? Yeah. I think from a matchup standpoint, I understand that I've heard multiple people say that the Astros match up better with the Yankees. And the reason why they're saying that is the is the Yankees pitching isn't as deep or as good as the Astros pitching on paper. So that matches up. Well, the the Cleveland's pitching is pretty close. Uh, right. You know, and their and their closer is is dominant. So right. I think I think that, but I also don't think that that I think the the Yankees offense is potentially could potentially out hit the Astros in the series and the Guardians offense isn't very good plus if the Astros would my whole deal is if the Astros lose if you ask me who I'd rather lose to I'd rather lose to the Guardians than the Yankees right yeah right 
I hear you. And what do you think of the matchup, uh, Cajuns, this weekend? Uh, let's go. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Um, I think the Cajuns, I think it's a pretty even matchup. I think this team, they're – they're, they were just so inefficient on offense last year. They got sacked like crazy. They never ran the ball at all. And so they're doing more football things fundamentally better. Um, I think if the Cajuns win the turnover battle, they'll probably win the game. I think if it's even, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, and if they get to plus two or plus three, they, they might win, you know – between seven and fourteen points, kind of thing. If it's even, I think it'll go down to the wire. I, I think Arkansas State is significantly better than they were last year, and a on paper better Cajun team beat them by one point in Jonesboro, by one point. So I've been making that point all year, and and you might some people disagree and like, well, that's unfair. Well, again, it. The difference so far between where the Cajuns are right now and where they were last year is really just a few made field goals and one snap over a punter's head. That's the difference. Now, the other on the flip side of that, the Cajuns show when they played out that their ceiling potentially in a game is really high. This team has not shown that its ceiling is really, really high. But, no, I, I think the Cajuns can win, but I, I think it's – a 50-50 game, maybe maybe a 41-40, 51-49 game. I think Arkansas State's a little better in their record shows. They've been in the game almost every game they've played, and uh, they just not getting it done at the end. And we'll see if the Cajuns can get it done at the end of a close game like they did last week. All right, we'll take a timeout. Speaking of Cajun football, we'll connect with Cody Juno next on the game. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to tell you the Tesh Project is hosting the Shake Your Trail Feather Paddle Parade and Party in the Park this Saturday, October 22nd. There'll be a pair of Cajun bands escorting paddlers uh, as they float from Poche Bridge to Bro Bridge from 10 a.m. to noon. After the paddle parade, they're will be a celebration in the park in Brobridge from 1130 to 2. Horace Trahan, the Austin Express, will be playing. There will be all kind of kids' activities, food, drinks, costumes, prizes, kayak raffle, lots and lots of fun. Come paddle and fun and join the fun with the Tesh Project on Saturday in Brobridge. For more information, the website is teshproject.org. All right, we have with us Mr. Cody Juno, Cajun Sideline Reporter. How are you, sir? I'm good. That sounds like a fun appetizer before uh, hitting the Cajun field for a 4 o'clock kickoff. Absolutely. So, first of all, I know you hate Hannah's Mariners, so did you survive the 18-inning game, and how much did you enjoy it? Uh, I enjoyed the 18th inning uh, only uh, and then made it through all 18 innings. 
um, while flipping back and forth, obviously, to some football, but really upset the Astros couldn't get business done in nine because I missed a majority of the great Saturday afternoon of college football. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, the Astros find a way to um, to take care of the Mariners and just maybe next year. Maybe next year will be the year. All right. W- w- one, more, one more Astros question. Who do you want to win today, Guardians or Yankees? The Guardians would be, you know, I think the answer there. For for me, looking at it, just because of, <clears throat> I think the Yankees, they have more weapons that if they come around, right, they kind of strike a little bit of fear into you. And, you know, um, I guess I would just rather, you know, play the, play the Guardians. All right. So one of the things we talked about that the Cajuns needed to do last week and a number that jumped out at us was – that they had been sacked 19 times going into the Cajun game, speaking of Marshall. And I thought that played out as much as anyone. The Cajuns were able to get pressure on the quarterback, and that might be a key again in this game. Well, look, I think <clears throat> excuse me, I think one of the units that has been the most underrated, um, you know, now midway through this season, but has really, really played its behind off. That's a defensive front, right? We talked about it in the first two weeks. They really struggled, especially against Southeastern. Now, I think that was probably more of the game plan with the mobile quarterback and see the Johnson didn't really get anybody home, right? There were some concerns about not being able to get pressure with four and, and the Cajuns kind of sitting back. Well, since then, we've seen that group kind of come alive and they've really played their behinds off, allowing the linebackers to make plays behind them, uh, behind that, that really great Cajun secondary but they've been able to get pressure with four when they've needed to at times. And Lamar Morgan, I think we've seen him dial up the blitz a little bit more in some different areas than we saw maybe earlier in the year. But, no, I mean, the defensive front, you know, led by uh, Zion Hill Green, obviously. But, but what it's allowing, you know, especially Wednesday night, you look at it, right? Chris Moncrief's flashing all over the place, uh, you know, from that linebacker position. And it's because that defensive front is doing a really good job of eating people up and, and not allowing them to get to that second level. It's um yeah, it, he really had some big and he got injured in that game and I don't know, we haven't heard a real uh specific re- update on that and we don't we probably won't get anything close to that until tomorrow but um but no, he really really played well. I I, I think I think Braylon Trohan had a had a just a fabulous game. I, I think Jordan Quibido's had like three really good games in a row, and Chris Moncrief played. tackles, yeah. Do you – I mean, just looking at it from the press box, and you obviously being on the field get a much bigger – look, the Cajuns, a uh, better indication. Cajuns always play physical football, but I thought they played extra physical at Marshall. Did you sense that on the field? Well, look, I think that – it was a game where they felt they were probably going to be challenged with Marshall the way they want to run the football, right? And and so, yeah, you saw a lot of big licks flying around out there. Um, you, you know, our good friend Gerald Bruce, I like to say, right, you, you got snakes out there, so uh, meaning a lot of big hits, right, people not really using their arms to wrap up, which, uh, you know, call me crazy. I prefer to see more people wrap up than not. But they were flying around out there. There was definitely an attitude because, look, I mean, let's be honest. This defense knows, and I think that's part of the issues with why we've seen them give up one, two, three kind of big plays at a time, is they've been trying to play almost perfect because the offense has been struggling so much, right, to score. So they've really been keeping 
uh, you know, the Cajuns in these contests. And if the offense can come come around, I think they can, you know, defense can maybe play a little bit, a little bit looser, not have to be so perfect on every single play. But look, I, they were challenged. They knew this was going to be a physical game. It was, you know, the blackout game. It was the, hey, we want revenge from the New Orleans Bowl. And, you know, we're going to come out and show them who's, who's really tough. And, and there's no doubt that that Louisiana defense answered that bell. All right. So you're back to three and three. The offense play, considering the opposition, maybe not statistically, but considering the opposition, it's best game of the season in terms of consistently executing and, and, and on the different downs and all. Um, Didn't it just look better? Like, it did just, it just yes. look and feel a little crisper and had some more kind of just – it felt like it flowed a little bit better, correct? It's because we all love to pass the football, and they, they just <laughs> – they they just were better at executing the forward pass than in the other games. Man hates the forward pass. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's just truly amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, but 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 to that point, right? What did we see? We saw guys catching the football. Yes, which at times has been a major struggle for for this this Cajun offense, right? And it's what's been. Opposed to second and manageable and third and short, right? Staying on schedule. That's been a big issue for the Cajuns through the first five games. They did a much better job of that in game number six last week. Absolutely. And, you know, I also think that uh, because I'm trying, you know, we're just trying to figure all this out here. What are we watching? And I think the two best defenses that the Cajuns have played so far are Marshall in South Alabama, and yet it seems like the two best jobs, at least of pass protection, and in the South Alabama game of actually run blocking, has been against the two best defenses. So what I'm wondering is, is this unit just improving as the year goes on, and it just so happens that they did it against the two best defenses? Or how do you kind of uh, rationalize all that in your mind? Well, so I, I think the first thing, right, pass protection – you've kind of felt okay about from a majority of the year, right? It's been the ability to run the football uh, where where the, the true struggles up front have really kind of shown themselves. And so the Cajuns continue to do a good job of, of protecting. And let me just add, too, I thought Ben Woolridge did a really good job of not getting panicked back there, right? Feeling a little bit of pressure and just stepping up, right? But not having happy feet, if that makes sense. And right. then if he had to get out, he went, right? But it wasn't Okay, I feel a little bit. Be not pull the run, pull the ball down and run, right? I so I thought that Ben did a good job of standing in the pocket and had a good feel for where the pass rush was. That's number one. To back up that point, number two, right? They've they pass blocked well. Three, I think we're finally getting some some momentum, some just some gel. So here's something that's very interesting that I think we talked about before the game. Um, you go back. To the spring. The five guys that are starting for the Cajuns up front did not participate in spring ball. So, again, a couple moving parts, right? You figure that the Cajuns lost. We know the Cajuns lost a ton of offensive linemen, uh, you know, whether it's the graduation transfer, whatever it is, right? And, and so you then you add that with a group that didn't go through spring ball together. I'm not surprised that it's taken them this long to get moving. I think what we're seeing is finally them starting to gel a little bit 
and five as one. Now, look, they've still got to do a better job of run blocking, and the Cajuns need to get that running game moving. But it's certainly encouraging that we've seen them take steps forward each and every week. You know, the other thing is that it, this team is just going to be different. And, and Coach Dez addressed it when I asked him about it, uh, you know, in West Virginia in the post game, and again in, in yesterday's uh, weekly Monday press conference that this team is just different. They're not, they can't line up and run it when the other team knows they're going to run it like they have at times in the past. And they can't just, you know, drop back and just chunk it like they were able to do pretty consistently in 2019 when they had a number one receiver. And so they kind of, it's just a little trickier with they, you know, the strategies on offense this year. Yeah, no, I know. I, I would agree with that. And the other thing I would add to that too, and, Look, he was your leading rusher, uh, albeit just 47 yards. Uh, but the he carried the ball 10 times, right? Now, the ability for you know the defense to now have to really worry about the run, despite Levi Lewis's you know abilities last year, they, you never felt that they really, really had to worry about the quarterback keeping the football. It just wasn't part uh, of the offense in the game plan. I think over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the Cajuns put that on film a little bit more, right? And so I think that's, that adds one more element that the defense has to worry about that may open up some things for the, um, you know, for the backs. And look, something that I would like to see more of, uh, we did we saw it at the end of the game, pick up a big first down, right? Get the ball in 12's hands. Let Lance line up back there, Lance on line up back there in the Wildcat three, four, five uh, times yes. in the contest, right? And and just put he, – he's a guy that you just got to get the football in his hand. And so I'm excited to see how the Cajuns are able to incorporate him in the offense. The hopefully – yeah, I agree. And hopefully it happens <clears throat> even more. Again, I, I, I first asked Coach Dez about that way back in July at Sunbelt Conference Media Day. Been waiting for that to happen. We've seen it just a, just a smidge, and hopefully we can see it a little bit more. And then – before I let you go, I, I look. I, I'm I'm a, I'm more of a special teams guy, and I have very strong special team standards and opinions, and a lot of people. And to me, sometimes we can overcomplicate things. It goes down to two things: do you make your field goals, and do you turn over the football? And go back, and I think it's a very different game, momentum wise, and confidence wise, and play calling wise, and what the defense can do and not do if if you miss your field goals like the Cajuns have done so often over the last two or three years? Oh, well, look, there's no doubt, right? I mean, Kenny hitting the big 52-yarder and, and making it a you know, two-score game right at that time, and it, it does. It allows you to play different. I mean, obviously, Cajuns make field goals against South Alabama. Um, at, at this point, maybe you don't you know, come up on the short side of, of, of that stick, right? execute on special teams at ULM, you feel like you probably win that contest as well. So, again, yes, have come up just short. But for a guy who loves special teams, you certainly hate returning punts. Oh, I hate Yet, him. You know, anytime seven gets the ball in his hands. And we've even seen that affect, you know, opposing punters, right, where they, they kick away from him. And, and so Eric Gerard's ability to return the football has been huge for the Cages in that punt return game. Oh, no. When, when, when you have when the offense is struggling, especially like the Cajuns have most of the season, and you have an elite punt returner, I got no issues with returning punts in that case. I'm talking oh, about... Yes, you do. Yes, you no, do. no, no, no. Not that, now, I don't like him fielding <laughs> balls inside the five at the one-yard line necessarily, but, but I'm good with him returning. There's times to return punts, but it's just not every time. 
and every time and and, and and I'm just not a big I I just don't like turnovers as much as the rest of the of the country. There he is with the glass half full. <laughs> so I I think this is just a crucial stretch. If you can win this these next two games again, I I think they're like fifty fifty type games, and if you well, win look, both I, of them, I, I think then like you're in good shape. Way out, right? I mean, you know, so here's the reality, right? The Cajuns, you start looking at, okay, where do you get to six? The is, with the way Texas State has played, we saw what Georgia Southern did last week. Troy and South Alabama, I'm going to be very honest, I'm probably going to be paying more attention to that game than I will the Saints on Thursday night. Um, you know, Southern Miss, and, and again, you can't take Arkansas State for granted. There, There's not a game on the schedule the rest of the way that you say, yep, that is a sure stone-cold lock win. There's also not a game on the on the rest of the schedule. You say, yep, the Cajuns have absolutely no shot of winning that contest, right? Um, and so what it means, and we've been saying this for a couple of weeks, but we're starting to see it play out in the actual results. you better strap it up and bring it every single week in the Sun Belt Conference because any team can beat any other team in this league on any night, right? And not in a fluke-type game. And that's, uh, you know, I think – that just shows you how good it, it's been proven so far this year. Conference. Yeah, yeah, it's it, 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 yeah. it's certainly been proven. The problem is no one seems to be have beaten South Alabama so far. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with, with Troy on you know on, on Thursday night, and you know uh, you know I think you know ULM for at least a little bit gave gave the um, oh they played them close. Yeah, yeah that that game was yeah. a lot. I did not expect that score in that game. What was it like, forty-one yep. to thirty-four or something? I did not expect something, that. Something, yeah, yeah, correct. correct. All right, so but, we'll uh, see what happens. Hopefully, you know, we're very happy when we speak next Tuesday. All right, I don't know. Cody is fate. Well, I'm here. I just didn't hear what you. Said. Oh no, I, I said hopefully we're very happy when we speak again next Tuesday. On a I, lot uh, of fronts. I agree with, I agree with that. Um, all right, last thing on the baseball real quick. Does this extra day help the Astros Because regardless of who they play? I don't think it does unless they play – unless the team that wins has to use a bunch of relief pitchers and some of those key relievers won't be available the next day. That's the only way it can help them. Other than that, I don't think it Eight, makes a I'd, difference I'd be okay at all. with 18 innings today. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I, I say go with 20. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Don't fight the feeling. Thank right, you, sir. We'll talk to you next Take week. care. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no! Again, I, I, I think you can be. I think you can think special teams are very important and not want to return every single punt just for the sake of returning. I just, I just don't like fumbling punts that much. And I see too many punts bobbled and fumbled and recovered. You know, this idea that it's just mortal lock thing. I just, I don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. All right. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents, also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Before we get to a very special guest, want to remind you, RP3 in the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. This Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1, we'll be at the Heritage Housing at th- located 3350 North Frontage Road in Jennings. Swing by. You can spin the prize wheel and win McNeese State football tickets as well as potentially many other prizes. So make sure this Saturday you swing by Heritage Housing in Jennings. Again, located 3350 North Frontage Road in Jennings, CRP3. Spin the wheel, and you can win some free McNeese State football tickets. All right, we have with us Darren Urban from azcardinals.com, and I'm sure he's a little bit frustrated with the Cardinals' 2-4 and four start, like many Saints fans around here are frustrated with the Saints' 2-4 and four start. So it'll be a really dicey, nervous Thursday evening in the desert. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, one of the things that I'm fascinated with in recent years, it's been like that for a while, but especially the last five or six years, is how teams start. The Saints have been mostly terrible at starting seasons before they kind of hit their stride, and they're really paying for it this year. The Cardinals in recent years have been really good at starting seasons, and this year it's going the other opposite direction so kind of how do you explain that from the Cardinals perspective uh you know I I wish I could at this point um you know they had ex- high expectations coming into this year they did have some changes on the roster uh that you know you had to wonder a little bit about exactly how it was going to play out on the field and of course they don't have they didn't have uh, DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games and, and that tends to make an impact on your offense but uh all that being said, there's no way they expected to be playing like they are right now, which is not only two and four, but um, you mentioned slow starts to the season. I mean, their slow starts to the games uh, offensively has been really rough. I mean, they've played six games. They've got three points scored in the first quarter total. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they're struggling mightily in terms of getting their offense going early. And then against the Seahawks last week, they played a little bit better in the first quarter, didn't score, played better offensively, and then the rest of the game couldn't get anything done. So um, there's definitely some tension out here right now, some things that people are trying to figure out. Uh, Hopkins does come back this game, so they're hoping to get a boost there, but they have not played well at home for a while. Um, I think everybody's waiting for them to get a home win. Uh, so there's, uh, there's opportunity here against the Saints on Thursday night, but I think there's a little bit of pressure on this team too. So, in terms of the slow starting, has it more been that, you know, the quarterback's been off the mark or has the running game just not been there to kind of kickstart the offense either? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's all of the above. I mean, when your offense is playing and struggling the way that they are right now, I mean, there, there really is nothing. If it was just one thing, I think they would have fixed it, and that's the thing. There is no – one thing they were running the ball well against Seattle last week. They got jammed up late uh, on their first drive and had to kick a field goal. And then after that, they just couldn't. They got a couple first. They get a couple first downs and then they just stall out. Uh, and you know, Kyler Murray is not playing as well as he did last year. Um, the running game has been hit and miss. They've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line, but you know, injuries. Everybody's got them. Certainly the Saints do. So you can't really go in that direction. The receiving core has been um, – it's, it's just the passing game as a whole has been odd in a lot of ways. Again, they didn't have Hopkins. 
I thought Hollywood Brown was playing really well until he got hurt uh, this past weekend. Um, but they just they can't seem to get any kind of consistency going. Uh, they don't. They certainly aren't looking down the field. They, their longest pass play of the year so far is 32 yards, and that just happened this past year, uh, a past a game. So um, there, there's been a lack of explosive plays. There's been a lack of consistency. There's been a lack of balance. I mean, uh, there isn't a whole lot good right now with the offense, to be honest. All right. Again, we're speaking with Darren Urban of azcardinals.com. So I think I saw that in addition to the other issues, you lost an offensive lineman. Is that correct? Yeah, Justin Pugh, their starting left guard, uh, tore his ACL against Seattle, so he's done for the season. And they've also been um, trying to figure out what the situation is with their center, Rodney Hudson, who's been nursing a, a, a knee issue pretty much since training camp. Missed the last couple games, and I personally wouldn't be all that optimistic he's going to be able to play Thursday. All right, so Hopkins coming back obviously is going to help but on a Thursday game, you know, after not playing, and I mean, do, is there how realistic is it in your mind that it's going to fix a lot of things? Obviously, he's an elite receiver, but how much can that fix in, in, in one week in his first game, do you think? Well, I mean, I think that's a legitimate question. And, and you know, he has not played uh, a game since week 14 last year. Uh, didn't play any of the preseason games, even though he could have. Um, so, I mean, what is he going to be able to do? I guess Hopkins has told Cliff Kingsbury, look, I'm not going to be limited in terms of my plays, but uh, you have to wonder exactly how that's going to fit in. But they need him badly now that Hollywood Brown is hurt. Uh, so, uh, you know, how much of an impact is he going to have? I mean, I think that's anybody's guess. I know how much of an impact he wants to have, and I know how much of an impact the team really needs him to have. But whether he can do that or not, I mean, we'll have to see how that goes. Now, the team also traded for a guy the Saints are fairly familiar with in Robbie Anderson. Uh, speaking of, how, I mean, it's to, uh, completely unknown what impact he can have. How much do you even think it's realistic that he's going to be able to play after just being traded with a Thursday game? Uh, again, another good question. I mean, I, I at best, he'll be limited. Um, we're in a situation now where, um, you know, he hasn't even gotten here yet. He still has to pass his physical today, assuming that all goes well, which I'm assuming it will. Um, you know, they're going to have, what, two practices, essentially. I don't know if he gets out here for this one today. And, and we all know on a short week, nobody's practicing. I mean, the Saints aren't practicing. The Cardinals aren't practicing. You just can't do it. So I, I would, if he plays, it's going to be a, a very limited package for Robbie Anderson, for sure. I mean, that's the difference between DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins knows his offense, knows what he's dropping into. Robbie Anderson is definitely not that guy. Now, can you put a guy out there who you brought in for his speed uh, and down the field, and can you bring him in and give him a package where you say, okay, you go long? I mean, that's not super hard. He could probably run a few of those plays. So I wouldn't be stunned if he got a few snaps in, but in terms of a giant impact, I would doubt it, and quite frankly, that's not why they're, they're not trading for him to get 10 targets a game, I wouldn't think either. Right. Uh, that's for Zach Ertz. That's going to be for DeAndre Hopkins. So uh, for what they need from him, he might be able to do a little thing this, this week. All right, the Saints were supposed to be a defensive team, and I think the Cardinals, you know, at times played really good defense last season. So how has the offensive issues impacted the defense from what you've seen? Uh, well, I don't think they've impacted the defense at all. And, in fact, the defense, to me, has been much better than 
people thought they were going to be. They lost Chandler Jones from the defense. Uh, they moved on from Jordan Phillips. Uh, and and I, I think there were some questions over, you know, with the personnel they had and the inexperience they had, what they were going to be able to do. But they have not given up more than 20 points in a game for four weeks in a row. Um, and they've looked good doing it. And, you know, again, if this offense – I mean, in this league, if you can't get 21 points a game offensively, you're really struggling. And, you know, if the Cardinals have been able to score 21 points in any of the last four games, they win instead of going one and three. So, you know, I think, uh, I think defensively they've played better than people have thought. Uh, they're getting – they haven't gotten a ton of sacks, but they are getting some pressure. The, the secondary has been – and cornerbacks, who people thought was going to be a really poor group, have played – pretty well and Byron Murphy is playing at a very high level at cornerback so um, defensively they're in a good spot and uh, they're they're keeping teams down again if the, if the offense could just find a way to just score a few points this team would be in a much better place all right so one more question uh, the kicking situation I know you it's been uh, what's the status with the kicking situation well, uh, Matt Prater is their kicker. He's missed a couple games. Uh, it's been a, a big thing around here because they brought in Matt Amendola. He missed the game-tying field goal against Philadelphia late two weeks ago, and then they were in a bunch of field goal situations against Seattle, and they chose not to kick it, kept going for it, and not making it. And that probably added to the loss. So they cut Amendola yesterday. They're saying Prater is day-to-day. Um, I don't know what Prater's situation is. I wouldn't be shocked if they bring in another kicker just for Thursday. Who that is, I don't know yet. Um, but it, it hasn't been a, a great spot for this team right now. And the way the games are going, especially Thursday night games, you would think you'd want a good kicker in place or uh, somebody who you feel like you can trust to kick a field goal. So they moved on from Amendola, and that doesn't surprise me because I don't think they had that trust in Oh, man, two teams with a lot of frustration, it sounds like, and both need a win desperately. So that's a lot of pressure on for this Thursday matchup. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's any question about that. Man, man, man. Look, I appreciate your time very much and your insights. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. All right, Darren Urban of azcardinals.com. No, you could just sense it. A lot of frustration. And look. The Saints were supposed to be a defensive team. The Saints have played horrendous in three of the six games defensively. And had they played well uh, last week, you know, and the, you know what's the irony of that? The Saints te- won two of those three games. And and if they would have just played good defense last week, they'd have won. The offense did enough. And so it's – Again, it's you could just sense it from him. The Cardinals are just dripping with frustration. The Saints are dripping with frustration. It's just going to be, I don't, you know, again, people worry about style and grace. I don't care if the Saints win two to nothing on a cheat. They just need to win. And uh, it would be nice for the defense to step up and do something. But the problem is the Saints defensively in recent years have not matched up with, with, with mobile quarterbacks. And here you have Kyler Murray. So it's just got... I, I just don't even know what to think of this matchup. But it sounds like they got as many issues as the Saints do. That's one good thing. We'll see what happens. We'll be take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show on the game. Ooh. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, I don't know if we heard this when we talked about it earlier, to join the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, where you could win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse, $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen. Got It's free. It's simple. So sign up today. The game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. All right. Something that happened yesterday in the middle of football season is the Sunbelt Conference released its men and women's basketball preseason poll and preseason all-conference team. And the Cajun men were predicted by the 14 schools to win the regular season basketball title. Ten of the 14 votes went to the Cajun. So, uh, you know, can you see how that happened? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I, I kind of thought the Cajuns would be in the top three was my expectations. If you'd asked me, I'd have said maybe third, maybe second. I was a little surprised at first, but you can see the optimism. I mean, the team made it to the conference tournament finals last year. They've got a fair amount of players back, and they've added some very promising players. Had a really nice recruiting year. So, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to have a really good season. Now, who's going to win if they're going to win? I mean, who knows? I mean, every year teams uh, are predicted to win conferences, and probably a lot of the times, or certainly a lot of the times, it doesn't happen. Sometimes they, they fulfill that that promise, and we'll see what happens. It, it's it's going to be an interesting season, um, you know, again, my first two questions every year, are they really going to be able to handle the point guard situation? And are they really going to be able to knock down outside shots? And at time, the beginning of last year, they were not able to knock down outside shots. At the end of the year and then in the tournament, they were, and it, and it produced. And, and I, I really think Mike Thomas got better as the season goes on. Uh, they're high on Themis Folks, who they brought in. I haven't seen him play yet. We'll see how that plays out. On the women's side, they were picked third, and I kind of think they might even finish higher than third. So the bottom line here is we'll see what football does. If they can win the next couple games this season, it could get more exciting. There's always optimism for the in the spring around here uh, with baseball and softball, but this could be a really fun men's and women's basketball season. So we'll see how that plays out. Again, we'll find out who the Astros played this afternoon. We'll see what happens. Y'all have a nice day.